is Krista Jones, founder and CEO of Virginia Leadership Institute, and welcome to A Seat at the Table. The purpose of this show is to bring together thought leaders and experts from a wide variety of fields to not only inspire and empower us, to, but to tell us how we can implement true action steps to help us all get our seat at the table. And today we're going to speak with Dr. Stephanie Myers, who is co-founder and co-chair of Black Women for Positive Change and also vice president at R.J. Myers Publishing and Consulting. And we're going to talk about a lot of the issues that are facing black women in America today. Welcome, Dr. Myers. Well, thank you, Krista. It's a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to see your leadership through the media and here in Virginia. Thank you. So first, I want to talk just a little bit about your personal journey as an African-American woman in the United States. What are some of the challenges you've had? And just let's talk about your experience. Well, I started off in California. Mm -hmm. I'm a native Los Angelino. And I was blessed to come from a nuclear family with mom and dad there and grandma and uh, two brothers. Mm -hmm. And so my upbringing was traditional in, in American standards. Uh, we had dinner at the table every night. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up believing that I could pretty much achieve and go after dreams that I saw in front of me. When I was a teenager, Mayor Thomas Bradley ran for the office in Los Angeles to be mayor. Mm -hmm. He'd been a city councilman and that was the district that I lived in. Okay. So as a young girl, uh, my parents took me from door to door, passing out the flyers. And, and we uh, went campaigning one time for Proposition uh, 14, which was housing desegregation in Los Angeles. So I learned early, and I think it's so important for parents to take the children with them on political missions, mm -hmm. because that's what mentorship is all about. So then I went into college and high school and, and got into the black power movement. I was very active, wore my dashikis, had my afro, and had a grand time <laughs> for a number of years just being a student activist. You know, when we would get good and ready, we'd close the campus down, and we wanted black studies, and we were against the war, and, you know, those kinds of issues. And then in graduate school, I became a part of a really unique foundation known as the Coro Foundation which believed in matching young people with leaders, real leaders, mm -hmm. governors, senators, state legislators, city council people. And when I was a part of the Coro Foundation, I used to take young people up to Sacramento to interview the various leaders. Uh, Willie, Willie Brown, the famous state assembly leader, was someone we would always see. And we would interview black leadership and white leadership. And one of the people that we would interview would be the governor. Mm -hmm. So I had the opportunity to interview, along with my students, um, a, a former actor named Ronald Reagan, who was sitting <laughs> in the governor's seat. And he was an interesting, engaging guy, as people know, and, and we began to develop a corresponding uh, relationship. I would write him letters complaining that I didn't think he was doing enough for the black community, and he needed to be more attentive to certain issues. So when he got elected president, his staff uh, invited me to come to Washington, and kind of put, you know, you know, kind of back up all this rhetoric that I've been putting out there. So I came to Washington and I served as Assistant Secretary for Public Affairs at Health and Human Services for five years and at the Commerce Department. I handled the transition team report on minority business. When the Heritage Foundation wanted to cut it out, I recommended it be doubled and it was doubled. Mm -hmm. So that's been kind of a journey of mine. Right now I'm an independent voter I, I served in the administration, and I'm very proud of that. 
uh, I say to anyone who has an opportunity to come to Washington, to be a presidential appointee, to serve as a part of the government of this great nation, travel the world representing America, what an incredible experience. And if you have an opportunity to do that, take advantage of it. Uh, my father told me once, uh, you might not ever know a president again, so you mm. better go for it. And mm. I say, but Dad, it's Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Go for it. And I was really glad that I did. And so now um, I am, as you said, co-chair of Black Women for Positive Change. Mm -hmm. And I think that journey really set you up perfectly to lead an organization like this, take it to amazing heights. But I want, before we start talking about how you started to found that organization, I want to talk a little bit about um, just the state of African-American women today. So if you look at the media and you read the reports, you're gonna get a lot of different um, opinions and thoughts about what black women are today. Now we're not monolithic, but I think, you know, in particular, if you look at media images, particularly reality shows and things like that, you'll get a really negative view. Then you read, like we were talking about the report earlier, you see where black women are very ambitious and maybe even as, as or more ambitious as other women, but they're simply not getting where they need to be. It could be a lot of reasons in corporate America. It could be mentoring, not knowing about possibilities, et cetera. Then we have a, a, a myriad of health disparities. So, you know, there was just so many issues. Then we talk about marriage. There was for a while, there was the thing about black women aren't getting married. So there are so many issues that are facing us. I just wanted to talk for a couple of minutes about your thoughts on the kind of state of black women and how we can do better, do more. Absolutely. Well, we have such an amazing time right now because we have a fantastic first lady in the White House. Yes. And um, our group started out as Black Women for Obama. And we were very proud and very excited. I met you in the precincts over here in Virginia, right. campaigning for the first family. And so when you have a Michelle Obama, a graduate of an Ivy League school, uh, a lawyer who earned six-figure salaries you know, before she came to Washington, who is a wife, mm -hmm. who is a mom, who is a dedicated daughter, what a terrific role model we have. And so I think that where we are as black women in America, and let me hasten to say that although we're black women for positive change, we have men in our organization, we call our good brothers, and we have a whole group of people who are not black, mm -hmm. who are our white sisters and brothers who are part of our umbrella. So one of the things we have to do as black women and what we're trying to demonstrate is cross those lines. We have to be willing mm -hmm. not just to be women for women's sake. We've got to partner with our men. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we, the group of us who grew up as feminists and very, very firm about women's rights, and I am, but we cannot be insulated from our men. Mm -hmm. And this has really been an experience in this group for me because we do have this partnership. And often women's organizations tend not to interface mm. with the men. That's a good point. They tend to spend, we spend our times, and I'm part of sororities and women's groups and all of that. Mm -hmm. I go to a convention, it's all of us. Right. We've got to partner more. We also have to do that across racial lines. We're at a very um, interesting crossroads. I think it's a great opportunity because I think that black women, in partnership with other groups, can play a part in transforming America. Mm -hmm. We have got the education. We have this incredible generation of millennial youth mm -hmm. that are coming up. They're smart. They're not afraid of anyone. We've taught them to be bold and to believe in the future. So we really have to, to assess who we are and what we want and what is the best strategy to achieve that. Mm 
And I'm not just talking about fashion and hair, but really fundamental change in this country that can be transformative. I know we can do it. Black women during the era of slavery, mm -hmm. reconstruction, back in the segregated South, we have always worked alongside our men and our families, and we've always kept progressing forward. We can still do that. We can't give up, and we can't sell out, mm -hmm. and we have to be dedicated to our mission. I think you bring up a great point because, you know, we've had um, feminists or we've talked about women's issues before on the show. And obviously, we all know that throughout history, um, some of the more traditional women's organizations and the women's movement didn't always include African-American women or other women of color. So I think it's great that um, Black Women for Positive Change is really focusing on bridging a lot of those gaps and reaching out to them and hopefully also encouraging them to reach out to us when we're talking about the women's movement in general. So can you talk a little bit about you know, how you started to found, why you founded uh, Black Women for Obama as it once was? Well, really it was, I guess you could say, just out of a personal uh, excitement when um, Barack Obama announced that he was running for president. Mm -hmm. Well, that was it. That day, I got on the phone to some friends and said, we have to do this. Mm -hmm. And so we just really formed at the beginning and, and felt that we have to help him win. So it was really a case of, of, of us, women, and our good brothers coming together and mobilizing people around the country. Uh, people who Republicans, Democrats, and Independents. Mm -hmm. I had two groups. I had um, Black Women for Obama, and then we had the Obama Unity Network. Mm -hmm. And the Obama Unity Network was Republicans, Democrats, and Independents for Obama. Mm -hmm. So we had both groups really saying this is a time in history where we really have to make this happen. After the president was reelected in 2012, we said, okay, well, he doesn't need us for campaign purposes, but we still support the administration. So we converted to Black Women for Positive Change. And we set up a nonprofit uh, affiliate, which is called the Positive Change Foundation. Now, our initial purpose was really to talk about how to strengthen and preserve the American middle class. We had just gone through this traumatic mortgage crisis in the country, mm -hmm. and we were seeing people who worked so hard for generations to buy that house, to be able to afford that education, becoming saddled down with huge mortgage debt, mm -hmm. second lines of credit, second mortgages, student loan debt, and it was, it was really wiping a lot of families out. Divorce rate going through the ceiling, not a good thing. So we wanted to preserve and strengthen the American middle class with a focus on the black community. But then Trayvon Martin got killed. Yes. And there was something about that whole situation. It wasn't the first time a young black man had been killed in America. We know this. But there was something about the social media, yes. the way it was communicated. We all just had one big collective fit like many Americans did. And it became obvious you can't run around talking about strengthening the American middle class black American middle class and your children are being killed in front of you. Mm -hmm. So we established a nonviolence initiative Wonderful. in response to that. So we have the two missions, mm -hmm. strengthening the economic uh, underpinnings of our community and also changing the culture of violence in America and the world. So I know that your uh, week of nonviolence has grown. Uh, I've been, I participated in it for the last couple of years. Can you tell us more about um, the type of work that you do during the week of nonviolence? Yes, we started off here in Washington 
with a national summit on nonviolence. And uh, Reverend Ronald Braxton, who is the presiding elder for the Potomac region, invited us to his church, uh, Metropolitan AME, and we had conferences there for several years. Those workshops were very valuable. Mm -hmm. And some people, they say, oh, workshops are worthless. All you're doing is sitting around talking. Well, you have to learn the issue first. Right. And so we took a couple of years to study the statistics. And when we learned that the highest homicide rate is against black youth ages uh, 10 to 24 years old. Wow. That's who's dying from, mm -hmm. from killings. Mm -hmm. And when we learned about bullying, that almost 12 to 13 percent of kids in our schools are bullied mm -hmm. every year. That's a lot of children. Mm -hmm. So we took the time to have these summits. And then after that, we decided, okay, we think we understand this issue now. We, got, we must promote the concept of violence prevention. Mm -hmm. When I was in the government, one of my missions was just say no to drugs. Yes. So I learned firsthand, you can sell a prevention message to this nation, mm -hmm. and it can reach the tiniest kids. Even today, you can ask a 10-year-old, just say no. What does that mean? Right. He'll say, just say no to drugs. Right. So we, so we had to promote the idea of a violence prevention initiative. So this year we decided to export the idea to other cities. And we're really finding that volunteers, because we're all volunteers, you know, I have a small business for my bread and butter, uh -huh. so this is my volunteer side. Now these events are, are taking on an interesting character because we're kind of saying, you design an event for your community that matches your needs. Mm -hmm. So what you might have in Baltimore may be different than what you have in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Right. And what you do in Atlanta may be different than Los Angeles. And that's what we're finding. So each community is creating an event during the week of nonviolence. It's October 15th to the 23rd. And we have a range of activities. Uh, one, of the, one of the activities that we're pursuing has to do with um, what we call socially responsible media. So as we were doing our brainstorming, we said, well, how can we reach the youth? Well, that's obvious, media. Mm -hmm. So we've decided to become film producers, mm -hmm. and we have produced two products. The first film is called On Second Thought, and your viewers can go to our website, www.blackwomenforpositivechange.org, and you'll see socially responsible media in a tab. Click the tab, and you can click on On Second Thought and go to YouTube and see it free. Excellent. And that film tells a true story about a love triangle, two girls and one boy, both of the girls with pregnancies by mm -hmm. this boy. One girl gets totally jealous and envious, and she literally killed the other girl. Wow. Now, I read this in a news article. Wow. It was from Boston. Wow. It really happened. Wow. So we produced this film showing the love triangle, the relationships, the tension, and then when we get to the point in the film where the girl pulls the gun out and kills the other girl, we stop the film and say, go back to the beginning. Now, how could this have happened differently? Yes. And we show an intervention. Yes. So we're trying to use media to educate youth and adults. During the week of nonviolence, they can show the film if that's what they want to do. Mm -hmm. The best part about our film, On Second Thought, is the conversation that happens afterwards. Yes. So to your viewers, if they, they can go straight to YouTube and just, you know, type in on Second Thought, once they get that film, I don't care if they're just sitting in the den with their own two kids. Mm -hmm. Have mm -hmm. the conversation. Mm -hmm. During the week of nonviolence, it can be a group of four people 
or a group of 400 or 4,000. It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The transformation can happen in small numbers. Uh, we know from uh, religious history that there have been remarkable people who've done things with very small numbers of people mm -hmm. and they've transformed the world. Yes. And in the Christian faith, that's Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the Muslim faith, uh, Muhammad has done it. And we can just see these stories, Buddha and Buddhism, where one man or one woman decides to get up and go forth, it can transform the world. Definitely. So, so small numbers are okay, folks. You don't have to have a big organization to do this. And you know, I really love the focus on media. I used to work for the American Psychological Association. They did a task force report. It was on the sexualization of girls. And they also had a lot of different um, techniques for parents to exercise with their kids in terms of co-viewing and you know having discussions after watching television or a movie. So they kind of got the most out of it and they understood what was right and what was wrong. So I think media is an excellent outlet. And I want to go back to youth, but I want to kind of go back to the faith community. And so we were talking for, for a few moments off camera about, you know, the need to engage the faith community more. Can you talk about, you know, what you've seen in terms of their involvement or lack of involvement or ways that we can really galvanize the faith community to make a difference in our communities? Well, that's an interesting question, Krista. Uh, like with many institutions, there are different people in them. And so I really say that there are three strong different factions, I'll call it, in the faith community. Now, our organization is interfaith. So we have wonderful Christian pastors. Mm -hmm. We have Imam uh, Talib Sharif, who's here in Washington, who's head of the nation's mosque. We have Rabbi Steinloff, a Jewish rabbi with the Jewish Community uh, inter, um, uh, Relations Council of Greater Washington. So there are activist ministers in our group who convene activities at the church, who, who provide financial support for the film productions and do all other kinds of things. Then there's another group. And the second group is just kind of neutral. They really don't want to be close to this issue of violence. Mm -hmm. And they really don't like conversations about the middle class and economic strength. And they really only want to talk religious doctrine and ideology. Mm -hmm. And they are just not connected to other issues that are going on in the community. Mm -hmm. That's a tough group to deal with. They're kind of insulated. They have their organizations within their religion. And that's as far as they go. Then you've got a third group. The third group seems to be a little hostile towards mm. the idea that a group of women would suggest that perhaps they should change their role as a faith hmm. leader. Hmm. They seem to be a little, um, uh, faith leaders tend to be on a pedestal. And so the idea that a group of women, lay women, and some faith leaders and, and others, elected officials, would come along and say, um, Pastor, we'd like you to be aware that in your community, People are being shot down here on the street. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do about it? Mm -hmm. Well, they're not necessarily wanting to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. So some of our members are writing letters to the religious leaders in their community. Some are getting great reactions. Some are not so great. Now, as a part of the Week of Nonviolence, we have what we call worship weekends. And we respect the Sabbath mm -hmm. and Sundays. Mm -hmm. So there are two worship weekends. And we're calling out to all faith leaders to please preach on nonviolence on your Sabbath or your Sunday. Excellent. Deliver a nonviolence message. 
Last year we had 60 pastors that participated. Wonderful. This year we want to double that. That's not too much to ask because the Koran, the Torah, and the Bible are full of scriptures that promote yes. peace, reconciliation, mm -hmm. getting along. So even for those religious leaders who don't want to step outside of their religious doctrine, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Stay within your corner, but still preach to your parishioners about nonviolence because sadly, in some cases, it's domestic violence. Yes. It's the very family sitting in the pew. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In other cases, it's gang violence. It's the kids who drop out of school, can't find a job because jobs have been sent overseas, right. don't have a future, and so they get into trouble. In other cases, it's people in jail who come out as returning, right. um, returning citizens but might get caught up mm -hmm. in some kind of situation. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, I can't talk about this without mentioning law enforcement yes. and the violence that our community is suffering mm -hmm. from law enforcement that is just way out of the box. Mm -hmm. Now, as a part of Black Women for Positive Change, we're posit we are very proud that we have law enforcement partners with us. Mm -hmm. We have several police chiefs who are members of our group, Excellent. white and black. Mm -hmm. We're partnering with the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement, mm -hmm. NOBLE, mm -hmm. and that's all police officers. Mm -hmm. So we know that the law enforcement community has got to play a role. We're also partnering with the National Black Nurses Association. Excellent. And the nurses, you should hear them. It's very profound because the nurses are in the emergency rooms. Yes. And when the victims come in, there they are. I mean, we right. see that on the shows on TV. Exactly. So we have Noble. We have the National Black Nurses. We have one of the largest black congregations in the country, the Church of God in Christ. Mm -hmm. And we're very proud that they're a partner with us. Yes. They put the film up on their website. Mm -hmm. And so that's exciting. And we have other religious leaders, um, Reverend Kelvin Sauls in Los Angeles, and just a number of leaders. And our fourth partner is the National Bar Association. Mm -hmm. And so the lawyers are involved as well. So each of these partners have a strategic role. The police officers are out in the street. Right. The lawyers are defending people in the courts. The nurses are taking care of their health in the hospitals. And, of course, the churches are, are, are attending to their spiritual health. So I do want to go back to youth for a second. So we talked about the media that you guys are doing, which is great. But also, obviously, um, our youth are spending a lot of their time in school. So can you talk about just kind of your thoughts overall and, and bullying, which is, you know, obviously a symptom of this violence or a manifestation of this violence. Can you talk about what you've done on bullying and kind of how you've worked with schools and, and how they've reacted to um, doing more with nonviolence with students? Absolutely. I'll give you three examples. In Alexandria, Virginia, the former mayor, Mayor William Yule, mm -hmm. headed a bullying task force. And he asked us to be a part of that, and we were. Mm -hmm. And so he was one of the few leaders in the Virginia region who actually implemented his bullying efforts. And so we're very, very uh, supportive of his efforts. And he's the national co-chair now Excellent. of the Week of Nonviolence. So Excellent. that's former Mayor William Yule. In Baltimore, the co-chair of the Baltimore Committee is a 33-year-old woman. So she's a millennial, uh -huh. and she's fabulous. And she's organizing... Um, all kinds of events. She's going to have a rap and hip-hop event over yes. in Baltimore that's all going to be peaceful and nonviolence. Mm -hmm. She's organizing uh, events with, 
with her co-chair, Danielle Smith, who's a leader in the Democratic Party. They're planning all kinds of activities for different age levels. In Pittsburgh, we learned this week that one of the elementary schools is going to have a nonviolence um, art c contest wow. with the children. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be grades uh, four, five, and six. And so Black Women for Positive Change is going to participate in providing prizes and incentives. And we're asking the children to paint their vision of what a family looks like that's getting along. Paint their vision of what a neighborhood looks like yes. where the people who live there are getting along. To paint their vision about their school. What does it look like when the kids and the teachers and everybody are working together? So we believe that at each age level, if we're going to change the culture of violence in America, yes. each age level has to contribute. So if the children can find the beauty and satisfaction in, in, in getting along and learning how to disagree but not be disagreeable, how to be angry but how to express that without fighting, mm -hmm. because anger is normal. Right. We can't deny human emotions. Mm -hmm. What we have to do is figure out how to manage those emotions. Yes. And that's the transformative work. Yes. And we know that if America decides to take this challenge on, mm -hmm. we'll transform the world. Yes. Because we're America. Exactly. And that's what we do. Exactly. So through the media, uh, we're doing a film right now called Drop, because we learned that 70% of the young black males and a lot of the young black females in prisons dropped out of school. Mm. That's a pathway to prison. Right. So we're doing a film that tells the story of a young man who is struggling. Do I stay in school? Do I drop out? He's frustrated. He just doesn't know what to do. And eventually he drops out. And then he ends up in a mess, mm. you know, some kind of drug situation and gets busted. Mm -hmm. Then like the other film, we run it back to the beginning and ask the question, now what would have happened if you hadn't dropped out. Right. So everyone will have to come see this film. I'm not going to tell you what happens at the end of it. So media is critical. Yes. Um, another another um, project that we do, we call the Harmony Jam. And we're hoping to have a Harmony Jam at least in Washington, D.C. during the week of nonviolence. And that's where we invite the young people to come and perform like they're going to do in Baltimore, rap, hip-hop, dance, spoken word. And a couple of years ago, we had participation from a young man named Jaziri X, mm -hmm. who's a well-known rapper, uh, hip-hopper. He's mm -hmm. out of Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. So Jaziri is now Dr. Jaziri X. We're very proud <laughs> of him. And he's on our committee. Uh -huh. So we're just trying to find ways to pull people in and give them an opportunity to express uh, leadership. Excellent. So we only have a few minutes left, but if you would like to say anything else about the organization or about the Week of Nonviolence, and also if you could talk about how someone could get involved, a city or a school or a community, how can they get involved with the Week of Nonviolence? Okay, well for all of the women out there, no matter your background, uh, religion or whatever, we reach out to you along with the Good Brothers and invite you to come to our website at blackwomenforpositivechange.org there's a sign-up sheet there. And it's really cool how the sign-ups pop in. We get people from Phoenix, and the word is getting out there. Yes. And they're beginning to come in and sign up that they want to do an event. And then we can kind of talk by email or conference call what kind of event do they feel would fit in their community. 
Well, thank you so much, Dr. Myers. This has been an enlightening conversation. And you know, this conversation, um, I'm really glad we got the opportunity to talk about just kind of black women's roles in the state of black women in society. This past weekend, I had the opportunity to see the opening of the National Museum of African American History and Culture with the Smithsonian. And one of the things that President Obama said was the African American culture is really a juxtaposition, sometimes a contradiction of sorts. He talked about the exhibit, how you could see James Brown's cape next to Emmett Till's um, uh, casket. So I really think with this conversation, we've, that's where we've kind of come to. There are a lot of issues facing African-American women, uh, but there are a lot of great things that are going on in our communities. So thank you very much for watching A Seat at the Table.